do me a favor and stand, please, for the reading of God's word. One of the things I want to encourage us to do today as we get ready for this is to put aside all of the things that we don't need to be thinking about right now. We could be thinking about a lot of things, right? Fantasy football teams, chores, the fact that you may have to shovel when you get home, all of that. Don't think about that. Think about this, okay? So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along in your device or in your Bible as well. It says this. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything you do, so, sorry, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent work. Okay, go ahead and have your seat. Our church is getting so good at that, and I'm so thankful. If I don't know you, I'm Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we have been going through a series that I have personally been challenged by. I have been loving. I've shared some of those challenges with you. Uh, it, it, the Sermon on the Mount alone, potentially the greatest sermon ever preached, I would say that it is, has done so much work in my life. I believe in most of you as well if you've been here. If you've missed some of the weeks, they're all connected. I'll try to catch you up, but you can go back to our Facebook page and catch those. And I would highly recommend it because the thing that we're about is knowing Jesus, knowing what he says, building our life on his teachings, on his practices, so that we can be, as he says at the end of the sermon, like a wise person who has built their house on solid rock, on solid foundation. That's what we're after as we study the Word of God. So this week, as I was reflecting on this passage, I I remembered there, there is a particular recent trend that is capturing the hearts and the minds of young people everywhere. YouTube videos, social media memes, uh, and there's even a blockbuster film. They've all captured this popular idea, and the concept is called a yes day. You guys know what that is? You heard of a yes day, right? The big idea is that for one 24-hour span, parents of a given home must say yes to anything their kids requests. Now, yeah, to some... This sounds ridiculous, and to others, it sounds like the modern philosophy of parental discipline. Um, But I might gently remind you that we just covered the section on judgment last week. And remember, discerning is good, condemnation is bad, okay? And so if you're judging people's parenting, um, I would just warn you about that. So uh, this is a funny trend to me, though, because my daughter loves this idea, and she's actually been asking for us to do this for years now. I know. And I actually think to myself, um, even though when I ask her, her yes day is actually pretty reasonable for a kid. I've thought that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe I just um, am biased. But I think it's pretty reasonable. I'm still not doing it. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just, I'm just that's just not going to happen. There's not going to be one 24-hour period where I just say yes to everything she requests. 
but I agree with her in this. The idea sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like, if you could just take all of your adult responsibilities and throw them out for the day, right? Your schedule, your budget, your nutrition plans, your sleep plans, and you could just do whatever you wanted for 24 hours a day without consequence, it would be pretty fun, right? Wouldn't it? It would be pretty fun. So I get it. And this is especially true if you know somebody is going to be chauffeuring you around and spending their money on whatever you want to do. This is an appealing thing. I would want to do that. In fact, I would love to know. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor right now for just 15 seconds. I just want you to tell them a few things that you would do if you truly had a yes day. So take 15 seconds, tell them what your yes day would be like, and then switch and have them tell you back. All right, 15 more seconds, so switch if you haven't already done so. All right, you're welcome. Some of you just got really great Christmas ideas, right? Men, I'm helping you out here. If you have a wife, you just heard what her yesterday would be like, so helpful, I hope. Okay, well, today's passage, it's, it says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So is Jesus offering a full-on yes day? Is that what he's doing? I guess if I had to tell you the truth in a short answer, the answer is actually yes, but as we know, this section exists in a larger context, right? And so that's what we're going to look at. When he says, ask, and seek and knock, and knock rather, not knock, what knock, what we ask for, what we seek, and what we're knocking on the door of are not just any random ideas, but specific things that are important to God. That's why Jesus is teaching on it. He wants us to align our hearts with God's heart. And when we do, we can ask, seek, and knock. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I want to remind you of where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount because it will be helpful as we start to wind down the sermon. So Jesus begins this sermon with the Beatitudes, right, which are a set, um, a list, if you will, of personal traits that a person will adopt as they move along the pathway of human flourishing. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that true human flourishing is countercultural. It sounds different than the way most of the world thinks about it. That's what the Beatitudes are about. And then he moves on to this teaching about salt and light. And he highlights this promise that God makes to humanity. This illustration is meant to show that his disciples are living, breathing, walking, talking representations of his goodness on earth. We are the representation of God's goodness on earth. We are like salt to the world and a light on the hill, not to be hidden, but to be on display for all to see how good God truly is. Bless you. Then the next section of the sermon, which is the beginning of the larger body of the sermon, it's centered around this kind of general theme of greater righteousness in relationship to the world. Not the righteousness that God gives to us, 
but the righteousness of our actions, of our thoughts, of our deeds. And Jesus starts this portion of the sermon by teaching on fulfilling the law. Now, in this part of the sermon, Jesus contrasts the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is an external, behaviorally focused righteousness. He contrasts that type of righteousness with the righteousness that he is advocating for, and that's a righteousness of the heart. And then he uses six examples to illustrate the difference between external and internal righteousness. He uses murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, and loving our enemies. And all six of these examples in the sermon are to illustrate the same point that our behaviors are directly related to the condition of our heart. We know that, right? That out of our heart, our behaviors follow, right? But then Jesus pivots from there, and uh, he goes from behaviors that we're trying to avoid to behaviors that we are actually meant to adopt. And he talks about generosity, specifically to the needy. He talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And all three of these examples that Jesus, is, that Jesus teaches on, they're meant to highlight the same idea that his primary concern through generosity and fasting and prayer, is to get access to, to shape our hearts. So things to avoid, and not just to avoid them on the outside, but to avoid them in the inside, and then to do the things that we need to do to allow him to shape our hearts into the type of people and the type of hearts that he wants us to have. Now this led us to the passage where Jesus tackles the topic of money and possessions and stuff and how our relationship to those things impacts our life and our heart. And then Jesus punctuates that part of the sermon with this very candid and pointed command, you cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say you should not. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And with all of his wisdom and with all of his gentleness, Jesus encourages his audience, hey, God the Father knows exactly what you need. And he's a good father and he gives good gifts. So do not be worried about tomorrow. Again, Jesus is showing us that he's far less concerned about the practical relationship we have with money and far more concerned with how money masters our life. And then from there, he goes on to cover the section that we talked about last week, which is, of course, judgment. Now, biblical judgment comes in two primary forms, condemnation and discernment. And Jesus warns his audience away from condemnation. In Matthew 7, verse 1, he says, do not judge for you too will be judged. Not to condemn, because we too then will be condemned. And in the event that we're actually invited into the opportunity to practice judgment, he invites us into the role of discernment. And when we discern and help other people discern what's right for their life and what God's calling them to, we're meant to do so with gentleness and mercy and grace and love, so that we can build one another up in love as Jesus did. And so that leads us to our passage and our topic for today. The entire body of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching about how we can live in a way that is pleasing to God and simultaneously leading us to our own flourishing on earth. And today Jesus concludes the main body of the sermon. 
So that means that this section, the ask, seek, and knock principles, they all fall under the larger umbrella of greater righteousness. Therefore, these ideas are the concluding thoughts connected to the rest of the sermon that Jesus just preached. So when Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, the implied understanding is that the ask-e, those of us who are asking him, is that we will do two things. First of all, that we are asking for things that will guide us into greater righteousness. And second of all, we are asking for things that are meant to align our desires with God's purposes for this world. So let's recall Jesus' instruction on worry in Matthew 6.33. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So our primary concern as Christ followers, all things considered, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and to seek God's righteousness. That's what Jesus is leading us into. And when our hearts are in alignment with God's heart for his kingdom, then our own desires become rooted in these primary matters. So what does it look like practically then to ask, to seek, and to knock as we seek God's kingdom and righteousness for our own lives? We can find out by reading a myriad of scriptures. But I wanna look back specifically at just the ones that are in this sermon alone. Jesus says, don't just avoid murder, seek to eradicate any anger in your heart, right? Like I don't walk around going, I didn't murder anybody today, right? I mean, that would be you're like, yeah, I hope not, right? And he's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the point. I mean, it is the point for sure. But more so the point, don't be angry. Because out of anger are where these irrational and violent behaviors come from. So seek to eradicate the anger in which these things are rooted. Jesus says, don't just avoid adultery. Seek to eradicate any lust in your heart. Jesus says, if you have an enemy, seek to love them. If they want your shirt, give it to them. And give them your coat as well. And most of all, pray for anyone who you are at odds with. Jesus says, be generous, but make sure that you don't do so for personal and social gain. Jesus says, pray often, and when you pray, do so in private, unlike the hypocrites who pray for forgiveness in public while they are personally holding things against other people. Right? You see the contradiction that he's getting at there? Jesus says, practice the gift of fasting, and when you do, keep it to yourself so that you won't be tempted to seek the reward of anyone but God. Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven, because what you treasure will determine how you organize your life. What you treasure will determine where you point your life. Jesus says, do not worry, because you have a good and heavenly father who gives you everything that you need and instead seek him, seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. And guess what? The rest will fall into place. So as we reflect on these teachings, maybe you've noticed the common thread that Jesus is pointing at here. And that is the righteousness of our hearts. This whole time, Jesus has been pointing at the righteousness of our hearts and so in our passage today, Jesus says, when you ask for matters of righteousness, they will be given to you. That's really good news, 
right? And when you seek after matters that are pleasing to God, you will find them. And when you stand at the doorway of God's kingdom and his righteousness and you knock, that door will be opened for you. Now, this really is an amazing invitation. It kind of sounds like that yesterday in some ways, right? Like if you're asking for those things, Jesus is like, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, but depending on how cynical you are, you're likely thinking, okay, but what's the catch, Pastor Rick? If Jesus is going to say yes to all these things that I ask for in terms of righteousness in his kingdom, what's the catch? And I would say this, there's no catch, but there will be resistance. There will be resistance in your life. When you start to align your heart with the matters that are pleasing to God and are of his purposes, you will no doubt encounter resistance. For those of us who have been practicing Sabbath, you know that. How hard is it to take a 24-hour period and rest and delight and worship and not think to yourself, that list of chores is really long, right? Those dishes are really dirty, and I want to clean them. Oh, it would be so great to just run out and get this errand done, and I can get it off my list, right? It's like so difficult to do that. And those are just the small things, right? You will see resistance. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus reminds us that we have a real enemy, okay? We have a real enemy, and this enemy acts like a thief. And it's a thief who hates us, who hates everything good in our lives and wants to steal and kill and destroy, And Jesus is contrasting that with why he came, and that is, of course, to give us life and give it to the full. You will find resistance. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. So encouraging, Jesus. (laughs) You will, not you might, not it's possible, but you will have trouble. You will encounter Resistance, but Jesus reminds us again that despite the resistance, God provides for us the things that we can truly delight in. Right after he gets done asking you to seek, to ask, to seek, to knock, he gives us these verses right after that. Matthew 7, 9 through 11 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Those are odd comparisons, aren't they? (laughs) If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love, again, Jesus' contrast. He didn't just say, if you ask for bread, you're going to get stale bread. He says, no, if you ask for bread, I'm going to give you a stone. Like That's just such a funny comparison, but Jesus is trying to highlight the reality that there is no way for us to be as good as God. And when we give good gifts to those we love, for those of you who have kids, to the kids that you love, for those of you who have family members that you love, to give good gifts, friends, whatever it may be, if you are even remotely good at giving gifts, which we're going to find out over the next month, aren't we, right? If you're even remotely good, remember, God is that much greater. 
at giving us the things that we need, the things that if we're in alignment with his heart and purposes for his kingdom, he wants to bless us with those things, to give it to us freely as we ask and as we seek and as we knock. He wants to just shower us with those specific things. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So yes, there will be resistance, but we are tasked to resist the resistance through our asking, through our seeking, through our knocking, because we know we have a Father who's good and generous. And then the very last line of this small section is the perfect capstone of both the smaller section that we are covering today, but the larger body that Jesus is concluding. In Matthew 7, verse 12, it says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is where we get the idea of the golden rule. You've heard of that, right? The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's really the perfect conclusion to this section on greater righteousness. As clear as Jesus has been about the condition of our heart, impacting our choices and the actions that we take, and as clear as Jesus has been about the types of activities that we should avoid and the types of activities that we should engage, and as clear as Jesus has been about the good nature of the Father who gives us everything we need to accomplish everything he sets us to, in all of that clarity, even though we have all kinds of examples, Jesus gives us one more all-encompassing directive, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I like to think of this as um, a particular tool that I'm really thankful for. Over the last 100 years, we have seen um, a myriad of important innovations, have we not? I mean, we have so many that I can be thankful for. I'm sure you can count um, as well. But there's one particular thing that I think is both incredibly helpful and incredibly gracious, and that, of course, is the Quick Start Guide, right? The Quick Start Guide, right? When you get a brand new product that you're psyched to use, you are not excited about opening up the 382-page manual to figure out how to make that thing work. Maybe some of you are. I don't know. Adam, maybe? Adam and I, we're both kind of, we, we like that stuff. We like to get into that. But for the rest of you, there's no way that you're psyched about taking three hours to figure out how to make a good cup of coffee. No, it's just not, it's just not how it is. Now, the manual is indeed still essential for sure um, because it has a lot of things that the Quick Start Guide does not cover, but the Quick Start Guide is truly a gift from God, is it not? And it is indeed evidence that he gives us good gifts. This verse, this particular spot in the sermon that Jesus gives it and the content that's there feels a little bit like a quick start guide, doesn't it? Just in case you are not sure what decision to make or what the righteous action in that moment might look like, the quick start guide says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus is inviting us into a simple but powerful exercise of imagining how you 
would want someone else to respond to you if the situation was reversed. Here's an example. Now, if I'm uh, meeting somebody for coffee and they're running late, I would appreciate if they give me a heads up. This is advice for all of you, but I'm also just putting it into the ether, okay? I, therefore, should be ready to also give a heads up if I'm going to be late, right? Like, what kind of person would I be if I'm not willing to do the things that I would hope for? How about this? If I have food in my teeth, I would sure hope that you would tell me. Now, I know that's awkward sometimes, right? That's kind of hard, but I would hope, and therefore, I should be willing to do the same thing for you guys. We're sitting there talking, and you have this giant piece of spinach in your teeth. What kind of friend would I be if I didn't warn you? Now, if I make a mistake, which I certainly will, and I asked for forgiveness, I would hope for your forgiveness. Therefore, I too should be ready to extend forgiveness. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And not only is this principle um, part of the pathway for our own righteousness, Jesus says that this principle is the summation of all of the law and the prophets. This means that everything recorded in the Old Testament regarding on how we should think and act according to the word of God in this world is captured in this idea. Now, Jesus makes a very similar statement later on in the Gospel of Matthew in a section titled The Greatest Commandment. I want to read it to you. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the second greatest commandment, did you catch that? The second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, behind loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the do unto others idea is the concluding remark of the shorter section, verses 1 through 11, that we've covered the last two weeks, where Jesus talks about judgment, where we are exhorted to evaluate each other fairly. And it is also the concluding remark of the larger section on greater righteousness in the relationship we have to this world and to those around us. But still yet, it is the concluding idea to the entire main body of the sermon, which begins in chapter 5, verse 17. I want to remind you what it says. It says, do not think, this is Jesus, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the body of the sermon begins with Jesus declaring that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. And it concludes, the body of the sermon concludes with Jesus' declaration that in everything we do, we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That this teaching that he's given us is what all of the law and the prophets hang on, the entire Old Testament. So what Jesus is declaring 
is his intentions to fulfill the law and the prophets by the words of his teachings and the actions of his life. And then he concludes with the invitation to be like him. It's actually pretty spectacular. No one's going to write a sermon like this ever again. I'm going to work towards it for our benefit, but it's just not going to happen. Jesus is so brilliant. He says, I am here to fulfill the law and the prophets, and I'm going to teach you how to live in a way that you too can flourish, to be like him, to know him, to sit underneath his teachings and build your life in a way that you can flourish. So if then our love for God and our love for others is at the foundation, that's what Jesus is saying, it's at the foundation of what we believe in practice, it must be all over the New Testament, right? Yes. Let me share two sections with you, and then we're going to wrap up. In Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. And then again in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, it says this. It'll be on your screen as well. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so that leads us to a very simple idea, but a very difficult application. In all things, love God and love others. In all things, love God and love others. And thankfully, we're not in this pursuit alone. When we ask God to help us love him and love others, it will be given to us. When we seek to love God and love others, we will find opportunities to do so. And when we knock at the door requesting access to this life of loving God and loving others, the door will be opened for us. So here's how I want to close. The band's going to come up in just a moment. We're going to pray and take communion. I want to invite you to join me in asking God to help us love him and love others well, right? To seek his kingdom and his righteousness means to love him and love others primarily, and that the rest of the things that we are after will fall into place, that our heart will come into alignment with his heart, and that our purposes will come into alignment with his purposes, but he's drawing us into this invitation that to be like Jesus, we must love God the Father, we must seek his righteousness, and to do so, we must love others. It's an incredibly simple invitation, but it is very complex, is it not? 
And therefore, we need to be praying. There are a lot of people who, on the surface, don't appear to deserve our love for various reasons. They've hurt you, right? They've done something to make you angry, whatever it may be. But Jesus is saying that the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second one, which fulfills that, is to love others. And so I want to invite you to ask God for those things. Because he says, when you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. And when you knock, the door will be open to you. And may we be the people who make the primary matters of our life loving God and loving others. And so in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. If you want prayer specifically, there's some real hard things in this life that we need to be able to pray about. And sometimes inviting someone else to pray for us can be a real gift. And so Karen and Paige are going to be over underneath the storm sign if you would like to pray with somebody else. Um, Either way, I would invite you to ask God for the help of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness by loving him and loving others. Now we're going to finish this time together by doing one of the most important things in the world to me, which is, of course, receiving communion. And so on your seat, you're going to have a little communion cup and a little wafer. And for the Christ follower, well, really for the person who's not a Christ follower, it's, it's not really that significant because it's just a, a cheap wafer and some juice. But to the Christ follower, it is of utter most important significance because this is the tangible reminder that God first loved us, that he would never call us into something that he didn't do first. And so when he calls us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and to fulfill that as Jesus did, when we are like Jesus, that we love him and that we love others, he gave us a reminder in communion that he first did that for us. What a beautiful gift that is. It's such an awesome reminder as we chew the cracker or the wafer and that we drink the juice that Jesus first died so that we can be free of sin and free of condemnation and receive his grace and his love so that therefore we can then extend it to others. So I'm gonna pray over this and then I'm gonna have you stand and we're gonna sing. But please don't miss this opportunity to either get prayer or to pray for your own opportunity, your own asking, your own seeking, your own knocking at the door to pursue his righteousness and his kingdom and to love him and love others. So God, today we come to you humbly and we thank you for this reminder, for this word that you've given to us through this beautiful sermon that Jesus preached, but also through the tangible gift of communion, God, this this reminder that you died for us, that you were crucified on a cross and you rose again three days later, conquering death, conquering sin on our behalf. So God, I pray that as we take this, as we receive this communion, that you would remind us and that you would spur in us to not only receive your forgiveness, but to learn to extend it to others. That when we're called to forgive or we're called to be generous or we're called to love somebody in a particular way, that 
God, we would be obedient. That we would truly seek you and seek your kingdom. God, that you would help us to be reminded about the things, to learn the things that we should be asking for and that it would turn into a massive yes day where your kingdom invades the darkness all around us, God, where we are like salt and like light to this world. So as we receive this today, God, may that be our heart and our reminder. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and receive the elements and then please stand and join us as we